0: Let's pray. God, we thank you once again that you have just seen fit uh, today to give us life and breath and to allow us to engage with you and with our brothers and sisters scattered all over the Bay Area and beyond uh, through this service. Uh, I pray now, God, as we turn to your word, that you would uh, quiet our hearts, that you would allow us to push out the distractions uh, of life and the cares of the day. I pray that you would open our ears to hear and open our eyes to see uh, what it is that you would teach us in this moment. You, Uh, literally have the words of life. And so I pray, God, that you would uh, speak through me. I pray that um, I would clearly communicate uh, who you are, what you have done, your beauty, your majesty, your glory, uh, your sovereignty, and your love in this moment. Uh, This is our daily bread. And I pray that you would nourish us now on your word. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Once again, ALCF, so good to be back with you again today. And we are in the middle uh, of our series on Esther, uh, which we're calling Hope in Trouble. And we're just going to keep marching right along through this book. Today we're in Esther chapter four. Uh, So if you will meet me there, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Uh, Once again, we're in Esther chapter four today. And here we go. It says this When Mordecai learned all that had been done, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days." And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, In the United States, our United States Armed Forces has a classification system for how ready the armed forces are to a perceived or real threat. It's called the Defense readiness condition, and it's shortened to DEFCON. DEFCON 1 is the standard level of readiness for all of our armed forces. DEFCON 2 simply means an elevated level of readiness for our armed forces. Uh, DEFCON 3 means that there is a legitimate possibility of a real threat, and at DEFCON level 3, the Air Force is ready to deploy in 15 minutes or less. DEFCON 4, which we've only hit a couple of times in the history of our country, uh, once during the Cuban Missile Crisis and once during the Gulf War, DEFCON 4 has the entire armed forces at a level of readiness whereby they can deploy and engage within six hours or less. The highest, most uh, heightened state of readiness for our US armed forces is DEFCON 1. DEFCON 1 is also known as the cocked pistol. It means that nuclear war is either imminent or has already started. At DEFCON level 1, there is an immediate and imminent danger with potentially disastrous outcomes. At DEFCON 1, there is an immediate and imminent danger with potentially disastrous outcomes. Never in the history of our country have our armed forces been raised to DEFCON Level 1. And though that has not happened at the national level, we have all felt DEFCON Level 1 in our personal lives. We just call it something different. What we call DEFCON 1 for our armed forces, we call crisis mode for for our personal existence. And uh, I kind of made a comment about this last week, but it's, it's why we're preaching through this book right now. If 2020 were a musical album, I would title it Crisis Mode. I mean, that sounds like something that, that uh, Pearl Jam or Nirvana should have put out in the late 90s, an album titled Crisis Mode. 2020 has been the year of Crisis Mode, and we all have gone through moments of crisis mode in our personal lives. Listen to uh, these definitions of crisis mode that I found in some articles I was reading this week. The first one says this. If you are in crisis mode, you are reacting to everything. There is almost no time to think and everything catches you off guard or increases your stress levels and you feel panicky. You are putting out fires, rushing from one thing to another and you feel like you can't catch your breath. You are always in alert mode, in ready mode and you can't relax. Or hear this one. Crisis mode is a state of high alertness and changed priorities that we use to manage extremely volatile, challenging and threatening situations. I mean, that is like, that is this year that we are living through, a state of high alertness and changed priorities that we use to manage extremely volatile, challenging, and threatening situations. And if even if 2020 hasn't been a crisis mode year for you, all of us, All of us have crisis mode moments in our lives that we can look back on because they are seared into our memory. The place, the timing, the setting, and the situation. I think about uh, the time that our son broke his arm. I know I can just I can picture exactly where we were, what we were doing, what the weather was like, what was happening because because when that happened, every other care, every other plan, every other concern of the day falls completely to the wayside and you go into crisis mode because there is an immediate and imminent threat with potentially disastrous outcomes. It could be losing your keys in the sand at the beach that has never happened to me, but it is a nightmare of mine. It could be uh, losing a child in a crowded place. It could be uh, the moment of evacuation as the wildfires are encroaching on your home. It could be uh, a COVID-19, um, what's it called, diagnosis. Sorry, that word wouldn't come to me. It could be a, a COVID-19 diagnosis. It, it, it could be that dreaded phone call in the middle of the night Or in the middle of the day, it it could be when a loved one gets sick or, or at the death of a loved one. These are all crisis mode moments. And just like I talked about last week with trouble and the knife's edge, we are all going to go through moments of life where we are in crisis. And as we turn to the text today, we are finding God's people also in crisis. Last week's trouble, remember I said, I said Esther chapter 3, if you got one word when you think about that chapter, it is trouble. When you think about Esther chapter 4, if, I, if you think about one word, I think you want to think about crisis. Last week's trouble has led to today's crisis, and doesn't that happen in life so often as well? Uh, as we look at Esther chapter 4, we are coming to a people who are at DEFCON 1 level of crisis. The Jewish people are in crisis mode because... Mordecai refused to bow to Haman and Haman's pride and racism and then uh, Ahasuerus' horrible decision to listen to the voice of Haman and the edict that sent out with the full force of the king's authority decreeing total annihilation of the Jewish people has brought us now to a complete crisis mode. For the people of God. And whether we're looking at the Jewish people in Esther chapter 4 or we are looking at our own lives, what I want us to hear today, if you get nothing else out of this message, if you remember one statement from this message, it is this that God is at work in the crisis. We're going to see both in this text and as it relates to our lives that God is at work in crises. If I say crises at some point during this sermon, please forgive me, it's, that's not the past tense of crisis, the past, or, or that's not the plural, rather, tense of crisis, it's crises. But something in me just keeps wanting to say crises. Uh, God is at work in the crisis. He's at work in the crisis that you might be going through right now. He's at work in the crisis that 2020 has been. And as we look at Esther chapter four, we're gonna see three ways that God uses crisis, uses crises in our lives, actually for our good. And the first one is this. God uses crises to turn us toward Him. God uses crises to turn us toward Him. So as we come back to Esther chapter 4, as the curtain is raised on this scene of the book, we find the Jews in crisis mode. Look at verse 1, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. And then we skip ahead to verse 3, and it's not only Mordecai, but there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. One scholar says verse 3 of chapter 4 is the lowest point in the entire book of Esther. And what we see here is we see a group of people who are obviously mourning because things look utterly hopeless. But what I also want us to see is it is not potentially just mourning, but that there is an element of repentance involved in this. When we look at this situation, when we hear words like sackcloth and ashes, when we hear about tearing clothes, when we hear fasting, weeping, and lamenting, we need to remember that even though God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, in the rest of the biblical narrative, especially I'm thinking of the book of Esther or of the book of Ezra right now, when the Jewish people perform these activities, when they are mourning in public, when they are tearing their clothes, when they are fasting and weeping, yes, it is a sign of mourning. It is a sign of great sadness. But very often, that is a sign of repentance. It is a sign of of sorriness for what they have done. It is a sign of turning their hearts back to God. God uses crises to turn us towards Him, to turn our hearts back towards Him. And and why do I say that? This is going to get pretty cool. And so this is why I love the Bible. And this is why I love... Being able to teach the Bible because it, the message is consistent through the whole scripture. I want us to look, I want you to look with me for a moment uh, at the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2. Joel is one of the minor prophets. That doesn't mean he's less important. It just means the books are shorter. It's one of the he's one of the minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament. It's all those books that we can't keep straight and we can't keep the name straight and we don't spend a lot of time there because it's kind of confusing. But Joel was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah right before it fell to the Babylonians. It was he was at least 130 years before the events of Esther are happening in the capital of Persia. So Joel is in the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, he is warning the, the, the God's people. He's warning the Jews. Even though you don't realize it, you are in crisis mode because disaster is coming upon you. God is going to send disaster upon you because of your sinfulness. But look at what Joel says in Joel 2, starting in verse 12. We're going to go ultimately through 12, 13, and 14, but just now for 12. Joel says, God says through Joel, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting with weeping and with mourning did you catch that with fasting with weeping and with mourning and if we look at esther chapter 4 verse 3 there was great mourning among the jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting now in the esv translation the translators have translated that last word differently in joel and in esther but in hebrew it's the exact same word this is the exact same phrase in hebrew found in both both esther chapter 4 and in joel chapter 2 and If we continue, Joel chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And rend your hearts, not your garments. We're told in chapter 4, verse 1 of Esther, Mordecai tore his clothes. He he rent his clothes. That's the past tense of rend. He rent his clothes. And God is saying to his people in Joel chapter 2, I don't want you to tear your clothes. I want you to tear your hearts, continuing in, in Joel 2, verse 13. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent? Did you hear that? Who knows whether he will not turn and relent? And if we go back to Esther chapter 4, verse 14, and who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Here's what I think is happening. The audience that Esther was written for would have known the prophet Joel. And I don't think it's an accident that here in chapter four, when they're in the midst of, of, of DEFCON 1 level crisis mode, the author of Esther points them to Joel chapter two. And Joel's message in Joel chapter two is when you are in the midst of your crisis, turn to God, turn to him. God wants your heart. When, when, when God sends the crisis, Turn to him, repent, and who knows if God might deliver, if God might deliver you from the crisis. Now, do we know if the Jews in Persia in this moment were wandering from God or were not living the way that they should? We don't know for sure. The book of Esther doesn't tell us, but based on their track record through much of the Old Testament, the chances are pretty good that they are. And here's the the author of Esther saying to its audience, when you are in a crisis, you should turn to God. And the message for you and me today is the same. In the middle of your crisis, turn to God. God is saying, I I, I want your heart. And when things are easy, when things are safe, when things are comfortable, when things are predictable, when when life is, is, is tranquil, it gets really easy for you to forget me. It gets really easy for you to forget how much you need me. But when the crisis comes, all of a sudden now you need, you realize your need for me. You, you turn to fasting and weeping and lamenting in the midst of the crisis. And so God is saying to us, I believe even in this moment, if it takes a crisis to get your attention, if it takes a crisis for me to get you to turn your heart either back to me or to me for the first time, then see your crisis as my grace in your life to refocus you on what really matters and where your hope is really found. So abundant life in this season of COVID, racism, uh, uh, election, uh, wildfires, pandemic, shelter in place, whatever else I've forgotten, may we see the silver lining that God uses moments like this to turn our attention off of ourselves and back to Him. He uses these moments to bring us to repentance. And may we not miss that. God uses crises to turn us towards Him. That's point number one. Point number two, God uses crises to reveal our identity. God uses crises to reveal our identity. R.I.P.G., where do you see that? in this text well i'm very glad that you asked so esther hears that mordecai is mourning she doesn't know why she sends him some fresh clothes because he can't come in in his sackcloth he refuses them and sends a message back to her explaining everything that has happened and the edict that has gone out against the jews mordecai also uh gives a decree and through the intermediary hathak the eunuch he tells esther this he says he he commands her Go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. That's verse 8. Commands Esther, go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Now, you see what's interesting about this point in the story is that the fact that Esther is a Jew is still a secret. She's been queen now for at least, based on the timeline that we're given in, in this book, at least five years She's been the queen of Persia and her identity as a Jew is still secret. It is only known to our knowledge by Mordecai. Now here comes this crisis and the the Jewish people have come under great stress and Mordecai says to Esther, you're going to have to go to the king and not only go to the king, but you're going to have to go to the king. And in doing so, you're going to have to reveal Your true identity. You see, if you think back to Chapter 2 of Esther, she is the only character in this story that is given two names. We're given her Jewish name, which is Hadassah, and we're given her Persian name, which is Esther. And that's not an accident. It's because that symbolizes the dual nature of her identity. It symbolizes how up to this point in the story, she has really been living two lives and not only is there fear in her heart that revealing herself as a jew would be problematic for her position as queen of this pagan kingdom of persia but now there's an edict out that all jews are to be destroyed and so no wonder she sends the message back to mordecai basically saying if i do that i might die and his response and obviously i'm summarizing this in so many words is essentially esther as it stands right now, you're going to die either way. So it's worth the risk that you go to the king to beg for the life of your people and reveal to him your true identity. And that brings us to one of the great statements of courage and faith in the entire Bible as she makes her decision and sends the message back to Mordecai in verse 16, then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. The crisis has forced my hand. I can no longer carry on dual identities, and I am going to lean into my true identity. I am going to identify myself with the people of God. The, consequent, the consequences be what they may. Uh, we know of someone else uh, in popular culture who is faced with a crisis like this over and over and over again, and his name is Clark Kent. Uh, for those who may not know, Clark Kent is also known as Superman. Clark Kent was his, uh, his alter ego, his, his identity, which he used to keep hidden the truth about who he was, which was this superhero uh, from the planet of Krypton named Call Something. I don't, even, I don't really remember. Um, but Clark Kent was just mild-mannered Clark Kent who worked at the Daily Planet as a newspaper reporter. But if you know the story of Superman time and time again, As he faced a crisis, he was forced to decide Am I going to reveal my true identity? And as the protector and savior of the earth, now that's Jesus really, but for the comics purposes, comic purposes, it's Superman. He was faced with that crisis all the time. Here he is, mild-mannered Clark Kent, and some disaster is happening, a speeding train or, a, or an out-of-control plane or whatever it is, and he had to decide in that moment, do I, do I risk revealing my identity and the risk that ha- that would have for the people that I love and showing my true identity to serve those who are in need of service right now. So Now, where the the, uh, illustration breaks down is Clark Kent always found a a phone booth and he was able to change from mild-mannered Clark Kent into superhuman uh, Superman in the phone booth. The problem for Esther is that she didn't have a phone booth to go into and change. She had no place to hide. She was going to have to reveal who she really was. And the problem is the same for you and I we don't have a phone booth to hide in when the crisis comes and remember the point is that god uses crises to reveal our true identity when the crisis comes we do not have a phone booth To hide in. We certainly don't have one anymore because there are no phone booths left on this, at least in our country, that I'm aware of. So here's the easy application of this. The easy application is especially in a place like the Bay Area, it's really easy to live dual lives. Like you got your church life and your God life and then you got your work life and people can be kind of hostile to Christians in the workplace. So you just keep it kind of quiet. And so, so easy application of this is don't hide it. Like be bold about who you are. Be bold about your faith, though there might be a cost. And that's good. And I love that application. And and if you're feeling God speak to you in that, lean into that and don't hide who you are. Be bold about your faith. But I want to bring it a little bit closer to home because we're sitting in a moment right now. Crisis mode 2020 where our lives have just been turned upside down. Our, Our routines, our relationships, our relational patterns have been turned upside down. And I know I am not just speaking for myself when I say that this year has been a tough year when it comes to the way we live our lives and which identity we lean into. And what I mean by that is this. It has been easy this year to slip into old habits, into old patterns of sin and sinful thoughts and sinful actions or to slip into new patterns of sinful thoughts and sinful actions maybe it's laziness maybe it's just with the, the shelter in place and the pandemic and don't leave your house it's just been it's been so easy to just binge on entertainment and Netflix and movies and YouTube and and just not doing the things that you need to do to, to, to get through your normal life uh, maybe we've slipped into patterns of materialism or greed and trust me I have felt this just it's been really easy easy to shop online because we're home in front of the computer all the time. And boy, it gives you a great shot of endorphins when you get a package in the mail. And so it's been easy to just start, start buying stuff, more stuff than you need, clothes that you can't even wear out because you're not going into public right now. Uh, maybe for some of us it's been it's been lust or it's been a, a a pornography habit that we we thought we were doing better with but just in all the time alone and and, and so little relational accountability it's just been easy to, to fall back into that it's been easy to to fall into old habits maybe it's just like selfishness and unkindness and and this one really hits home for me I mean I I knew I was a jerk before COVID-19, before 2020, but the, but the level of my selfishness and the way I can be unkind to the people I love the most in the world that has been revealed to me in this season has been, has been horrifying. And if you think back to last week when I talked about we all have two voices speaking into us, uh, we have two voices speaking into us, and for anyone who's struggling with anything like that, or maybe something else that I didn't mention in this moment, there's one voice speaking into us right now, and it is the voice of Satan, and it is saying, you are my slave. How could you? I can't believe that you struggle with this. What's wrong with you? Stop hurting people. Stop doing, you, you, you can't do anything right. But there's another voice. There's another voice speaking into our identity, and it is the voice of God. And it is saying to you the exact opposite. It is saying, you are my beloved child. You are, you, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are a child of the King, and I love you more than you can possibly comprehend. You are mine. And so my question in this moment, as we sit in crisis mode 2020, which identity are you leaning into Do not let COVID-19, do not let Racism 2020, do not let Election 2020, do not let wildfires, do not let Economy 2020 force you to lean into the wrong identity. If you are in Christ, you are a child of God, and may we find in our crisis moment the ability to lean into the identity that is found in Him. You are God's child. You are His beloved. And he has covered whatever it is you are struggling with through the blood of his son on the cross. Crises, God uses crises to reveal our identity. And then the last thing, God uses, number one, God uses crises to turn us toward him. Number two, God uses crises to reveal our identity. And then finally, number three, God uses crises to reveal his call on our lives. God uses crises to reveal our call, his call on our lives. So here's Esther. She's been queen for a number of years now. Here comes this crisis and, and, and Mordecai, in, in so many words, says to her, your position in the palace is not going to save you. And then and then and then in one of the great statements of God's plan and providence in our lives, Mordecai says this, verse 14. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. If we think back to Esther chapter 2, when this this Jewish orphan girl is elevated to the queen of the the most powerful kingdom on earth, the question that lingered over that part of the story is why? Why was she given this position? And now in chapter 4, we find the answer. And Mordecai, through this statement, is saying to Esther, you have been put in this position not for yourself. God has put you here not so that you can just enjoy the good life, living as the queen, separated from the the dirtiness and the, the ugliness of everyday life. God has called you to this place for a purpose, and that purpose is to serve others, it is to serve your fellow brothers and sisters in God's family. God uses crises. To reveal his call on our lives and in this moment of crisis the call on esther's life is revealed i think uh, i think of someone that a lot of us might be familiar with uh, a young a young british parliamentarian william wilberforce who came from a, a well-to-do british family was a ran for and was elected to british parliament at 21 years of age and a few years later he came to faith in jesus christ he, he became a christian uh, and that conversion to christianity precipitated a crisis moment in wilberforce's life he became deeply distressed about whether he could continue to whether he could serve god whether he could live as a christian and continue to serve in parliament and and he sought advice and counsel from many folks but one of those folks was a guy named john newton who was a former slave ship captain who had his own miraculous conversion to Christianity. And we know him because he wrote the song Amazing Grace. But Newton, along with others, told Wilberforce basically what Mordecai tells Esther in this text. He said, you have been called for such a time as this. It is not an accident that you are in parliament. Stay there. God has put you there. Lean into it and serve others through your position and wilberforce went on to become the leader of the abolition abolitionist movement in britain abolishing eventually abolishing the, the slave trade in the in the british kingdom god is doing the same thing for you and i in our crisis moments we're seeing it right now especially in the bay area we are seeing a lot of people in in crisis mode 2020 coming to a much clearer understanding of what God wants from them, what God has for them and what he wants them to do in his life. We're seeing it because so many people are leaving. They're moving away. This this crisis, this complete upheaval of life is giving people the opportunity to hear from God in a way that they haven't when things are normal and they're getting a clear vision or a clear picture or a clear picture of where he wants them and what he wants them to do or why he has called them to the place that he has called them to. But not all of us and i want to speak into that for just one minute i also know there are a lot of us who are just muddling our way through 2020 just just flailing like what why why is why am i where i am at what am i supposed to be doing where i am at is this really what god wants for me is this is this really where i'm supposed to be and you need to hear this morning that you have been called for such a time as this If you you are in a position of of power and influence and resource right now, God has not called you to that place simply to enrich yourself and make a bigger name for yourself. God has called you to that place to use that power, that that, that influence and those resources to serve others for their betterment and for the advancement of his kingdom. If you are a stay-at-home mom right now, Or if you are a working mom who has also become a stay-at-home mom in this crazy year, drowning in diapers and laundry and trying to get food on the table in time so people don't have utter meltdowns, you need to hear. You have been called for such a time as this. Lean into it because there are little lives who are counting on you. God has brought you to this place and he has a purpose for your life in this moment. If you, uh, if you don't have a job right now, if you, are, if you are jobless right now and you are just like, what is going on? I, you need to hear in some way, shape or form, God is working his plan and he has called you for such a time as this. And there is someone you can serve. There is someone you can love in the moment that you have right now as you are trying to figure out where God is leading you next. If you are a teacher, My heart goes out to you. If you are a teacher dying a thousand deaths every day, trying to teach 30 kids online while they turn off their video and turn it back on and while they pick their noses and while they they yell when they're not on mute, You need to know you are not in the wrong place. You have been called for such a time as this. God has a plan and a purpose for you in this moment to serve others in a way that you are uniquely positioned to do that. Wherever you are, if if none of those is you, wherever you are right now, the the application is the same. God God has called you for such a time as this, and He has a purpose for you where you are at. God uses crises to reveal His call on our lives. So however you're feeling, whatever the crisis moment is for you, whether it's past or present or coming in the future, be encouraged because God uses crisis moments to turn our hearts to Him, to reveal our true identity and to reveal His call on our lives. And as I wrap this up, I just, I just want to leave us with this. Um, as we look at Esther chapter 4, uh, most often, when we think about where do we fit in this story, are, we think of Esther. And that's good and right, and it's literally how, I have just, how I've just preached this passage, is, is just like Esther. God has called us for such a time as this. But I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth right now, which I, I do a pretty decent job of, I, I think, because I actually don't think that's where we fit in this book, I, or in this chapter, rather. When we think about where do we place ourselves in this chapter, we are probably not Esther who is the Savior. We are all the other Jews who are helpless and hopeless and are desperate for someone to save them. That is our condition. We are helpless. We are hopeless. We are, we, are, we are longing for someone to step in and do what we cannot do for ourselves, to bring us relief and deliverance. And that person, just like it was Esther for the Jews in chapter 4, is Jesus for you and for me you see esther points to a greater savior and that is jesus christ i believe that the story of esther was written so that the jewish people who heard this story would know one day when they saw jesus that they had seen this story before. That this was the ga- way God works. That they follow a God who saves. And here he was doing it again. Esther points to the greater savior. And that is Jesus. And I just want us to recognize that as Jesus knelt in the garden the night before he went to the cross and he said, he said, not my will, but yours be done. Do you know what he was kind of saying? He was saying, I don't want to go to the cross. But tomorrow I will go, and if I perish, I perish. And he did perish, and he died in our place that we might live. And just like we are going to find out, and I don't want to give away the story, that Esther, you know it, Esther is bringing salvation to her people through her sacrifice. Jesus does the same thing for us. God is at work in the crisis. He is a God who saves And may we lean into that in this season. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this truth. We thank you that despite our circumstances, that as we walk through hard things, as we go through the DEFCON 1 level seasons of our life, there is a promise in your word that you are working even in those seasons for our good and for your glory. And I pray that you would help us to remember that wherever we are at today uh, in our lives. We thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. Uh, You are loved, you are prayed for, and you are sent.